You're listening to a sermon from River City Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. For more gospel-centered resources and to learn about our church, visit www.rivercitympls.com. All right, River City, if you want to go ahead and top off your coffee, grab a pastry, and we're going to dive into God's Word. A few weeks ago, I went to the mailbox, like I do every morning after I get our two girls off to school, and there in the mail was a letter. It was one of those letters that none of us ever want to receive. It wasn't a letter from the IRS. It wasn't a a, a letter saying I was selected for jury duty. This was a letter saying that my personal information was stolen in a data breach somewhere. And being someone who struggles with anxiety, my mind immediately went to the worst places. Someone has my social security number, I'm going to look at my credit score, and I'm going to see all of these other accounts that are open in my name. But it was a reminder to me of life's uncertainties. We really never can know what tomorrow is going to bring. But one of the things that Jesus does tell us is that we can have confidence in God. This is what Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer. And so as we've been doing the last couple of weeks, I'd invite you to stand and we're going to read through the entirety of the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. And now as we open up the Bible, we ask that you open our heart and mind to understand your word. Bring conviction where we need stirring. Bring confidence where we lack trust. And most of all, today, help us see the beauty of Christ in the reading and studying of your word. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, Pastor Jeremy's focus was on the the big picture painting a big canvas for us of of God's kingdom. This week, what we're going to be doing is adding some strokes of detail for what life in God's kingdom looks like, what those mundane realities of life look like from the perspective of God's rule. This morning, the big idea that I want you to leave with is this, that Jesus teaches us that we can pray with confidence in a world of uncertainty. Now, this is a a simple concept, but can oftentimes be incredibly difficult because of of three realities, three default modes that we are often drawn to. And those are self-sufficiency, self-preservation, and self-reliance. As we explore this prayer in more detail today, we'll see how, how having confidence in God 
Confidence in his provision, his grace, and his protection is a, it confronts these three common tendencies that we have. So let's look at this first one uh, as we open up this prayer. Praying with confidence in God's provision. Jesus teaches us that we can pray with confidence and certainty in God's provision. Right after this prayer for God's kingdom to come, Jesus tells us to pray for our most basic need. But maybe you're like me. Oftentimes, I think it can be easier to pray those, those lofty, may your kingdom come type prayers than it is to pray very basic prayers like this. Give us each day our daily bread. Now, there's been some suggestions as to what Jesus means here. What does he mean by daily bread? I think it makes most sense to understand Jesus as saying this is anything that's necessary for life. Some commentators will say that this can refer to both physical needs and also spiritual needs. But regardless, the main idea that Jesus wants us to see here is that God is the one who provides. Now, maybe you're doing a Bible in a year reading plan. And if so, it's likely that you were probably just reading from Exodus chapter 16 this past week. I think it is actually probable that Jesus wants us in this prayer to remember the events of Exodus chapter 16. If you look at Exodus chapter 16, verse 4 with me, it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, of course, the manna, it met the physical needs of the people, but there was also more going on here. We see that it was a test to see whether or not the people were going to trust in God's provision. Deuteronomy 8.3 recounts the same event. It says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Why does Jesus tell us to ask for our daily bread? It's because he wants us to trust in God's provision. Now, this is where faith gets really practical. And one of the reasons why I think it is so challenging to oftentimes pray these very basic prayers. Do we trust in God for our daily needs? When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, it's a rebellion against this tendency towards self-sufficiency. It's a course correction, if you will, in our life from that tendency towards self-sufficiency. This past week, I came across an illustration that I think illustrates this well. For the parents in the room, imagine you're to go into your child's room and into the closet, and you see they have Costco boxes of snacks stored up, macaroni and cheese boxes lining the walls, And you ask them, why are you doing this? What's with all of the Costco boxes? And they tell you, well, it's in case you don't provide for my daily needs tomorrow. Now, as a parent, you might be thinking, why are you, this is, this is silly. Why are you doing this? Of course, I'm going to provide for your daily needs tomorrow. 
But when we fail to trust in God for our daily needs and start to have backup plans, in some sense, we're doing that same thing as that child does when they store up in their closet. Solomon reminds us of trusting in God's daily provision as well. In Proverbs 38, he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me. When I examine my own life, I find that I am oftentimes just like the Israelites in the wilderness, storing up for the next day the bread from heaven. I find like I'm so often like that child, storing up resources in the metaphorical closets of my own life, just in case God doesn't come through. It's a just-in-case approach to life. I'll put my I'll put my worth in my savings accounts or in my investments. I'll store up resources just in case God doesn't supply for my need. But how do we actually know? How do we know if this is the approach that we are having towards life? Well, one of the ways that I think we can is through what we could call a generosity test. And we look at, when we look at the, the Gospels, oftentimes Jesus will lumped together in one teaching block, uh, teaching on anxiety, uh, generosity, and, and daily needs. And generosity then becomes a test as to whether or not we're trusting in God's provision, his daily provision, or if we're hoarding because we want to just be safe for the next day. So generosity oftentimes becomes a test. It's not about how much we have, but our heart attitude towards our, towards our things. Uh, Tyler Statton He says it well. He says, daily bread prayers are a daily reminder that we are not in charge, that we are not in control. Now, if I can be candid with you, one of the questions that I had is, is it arrogant for us to pray these our daily bread prayers when there are people that that don't know if they're going to have literal bread on their tables the next day? God addresses this exact question to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 to 18. He says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Asking these our daily bread prayers restrains us from trusting in our own power, in our own wealth. Paul says something very similar to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 18. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. The prayer of Jesus teaches us to have confidence in God's provision in a world of uncertainty. In the next petition, we see that we can pray with confidence in God's grace. So after this prayer for basic needs, Jesus addresses what it means to receive and extend forgiveness. Last week, Jeremy addressed our vertical relationship with God when, we, when, when Jesus tells us to pray, forgive us our sins. But as he mentioned, this is not a, a, about our initial justification or our being made right with God. This is about 
daily fellowship with God. And what we'll see in this prayer is that our daily fellowship with God is directly linked to the forgiveness and grace that we extend towards others. Luke 11.4, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, this word indebted is almost always used as a financial term. And while it cannot be limited to finances, it's actually a really helpful way of, of thinking about grace and forgiveness. Jesus tells us a parable in, in Luke chapter 7, verses 41 to 42. And he says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? See, the main idea here in the Lord's Prayer, the main idea in this parable is the degree to which we understand God's grace to us is the degree to which we'll extend grace and forgiveness towards others. We cannot claim to rightly understand God's grace and forgiveness for us if we're harsh and stingy in our relationships. When we're confident in the grace that God has showered upon us in Jesus, it frees us to extend that same kind of forgiveness towards others. John Calvin, uh, the great reformer, has some helpful and, I think, convicting words about this prayer. He says, If we retain feelings of hatred... In our hearts, if we plot revenge and ponder any occasion to cause harm, and even if we do not try to get back into our enemy's good graces, by every sort of good office deserve well of them and commend ourselves to them, by this prayer we entreat God not to forgive our sins. Our grace that we extend, our generosity that we extend towards others is a reflection of our understanding of the grace that God has showered on us. You know, self-preservation, I think, is a, a basic instinct in all of us as well. But to forgive everyone who is indebted to us is to actually bear the burden of that person's debt. An Old Testament scholar, Bruce Waltke, says, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community, the wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. Or to say it another way, extending grace and forgiveness, forgiveness actually makes us vulnerable. The only reason that we can extend this kind of grace and forgiveness towards others is because of the confidence that we have in God's grace that he has extended towards us. When we pray, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. We rebel against that natural tendency towards self-preservation. A few uh, years ago, I had someone who I was fairly close to, no one in this room, uh, but someone who I was very close to that said some pretty hurtful things toward me. And if I'm honest with you, I had a hard time letting go of these things that were said. And it took probably over a year in my own life, to work through this. And it was only when I understood God's grace and forgiveness that he's extended towards me that I was able to forgive this person for the, the harm that they did through what they said. Remember God's grace that he has shown you. And it frees us to say, as we forgive those 
who are indebted to us. Finally, we can pray with confidence in God's protection in a world of uncertainty. Now, this word for uh, temptation, lead us not into temptation, can be translated as either temptation or it can be translated as testing. Now, there is challenge with actually either translation here. For instance, if we translate this as temptation, I think it's legitimate to ask, why do we have to pray this when we know that it's never in God's character to lead us into temptation? But there's also a challenge with translating this as testing because we actually do know and we see it time and time again in Scripture that God does actually test us. I think what Jesus is saying here is to pray, ask God not to lead us into testing that will lead us into ruin. That specific kind of testing. And so I think it's best to see this as a prayer of confidence in God's guidance. I used to have a picture, and I actually don't know what happened to it, a a framed picture with a, a quote attributed to Martin Luther in my office. It says, I know not the way he leads me, but well do I know my guide. I think a fitting perspective as we go through life's trials. One of my teachers had a helpful illustration to capture what Jesus is saying here in this petition. Imagine you're walking through the forests of South America, and if you don't know where you're going, you could easily stumble across a, a, a dangerous reptile, an insect. Uh, I have arachnophobia. I would hate to stumble across a spider. I don't deal well with spiders that are like this big. I can't imagine what you find in the rainforest. You would ask that guide, do not lead us into harm's way. Not because you don't trust the guide, but because you know the guide is the only one who can lead you through the forest. The guide is the only one who can get you safely through that very uh, tumultuous situation. We have a tendency towards self-reliance. Our culture says, look within to find resources, have confidence in yourself, trust your own instincts. Oftentimes, we might find that God leads us into a land that looks like this. And it's a reminder that we cannot trust in our own instincts. We cannot trust in our own resources. We have to trust in the guide who knows, us how, to get, knows how to get us through. One really good example of this is in Luke chapter 22, verse 46. Jesus is in the garden praying with his disciples. And the disciples fall asleep here in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The disciples were not aware of their limitations. They were literally falling asleep at the proverbial wheel of life. And Jesus says, do not trust your own instincts in this moment. Trust in God's guidance. When I was in high school, I faced the stark reality of my own limitations. There was a time when I really wanted to be a field goal kicker. Um, And so I was outside every day. I tied a rope between two trees in my backyard, and I was out there every single day kicking through these two trees. And my parents saw what they probably thought was a gifting in me uh, for kicking field goals. And so they signed me up for a camp down at Iowa State. And I arrive at this camp, and I immediately realized I was in the wrong place. 
because everybody there were D1 kickers that were preparing for the NFL combine, so preparing to actually get into the NFL. And here I was, someone who has only experienced kicking a football between two trees in my backyard. I, it was a harsh reality coming face to face with my limitations. But it, as I think about that, it was really a gift. It was a gift to recognize my limitations, not to trust in my own abilities, but rather to trust in God's guidance. We can apply that to any kind of life situation, trusting in God's guidance rather than in our own abilities. So this prayer of Jesus, it teaches us to have confidence in God's provision, confidence in God's grace, and confidence in God's protection, his guidance. But there's one question that we haven't addressed yet, and that is the question of why. Why is it that we can have confidence in God? The most basic answer is oftentimes the most profound The reason that we can have confidence in God is because of Jesus. When Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem, he knew that he was going as the suffering servant king who would die on a cross. When Jesus hung on that cross, he was stripped of life's basic necessities for you. When Jesus hung on the cross, it's the ultimate example of someone disadvantaging himself, although that's probably too light of a word, for the sake of others. When Jesus hung on the cross, he faced the ultimate test, bearing the judgment of God, not for his sins because he didn't have any, but for yours. And in the midst of that, he was still able to trust in God's guidance. Into your hand I commit my spirit, Jesus says. This is why We can have confidence in God because he has shown us his infinite love for us in the person of Jesus. I think the words of the Apostle Paul are a fitting summary for the message today. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 and verse 34. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will not he not also with him graciously give us all things? And verse 34, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. So when we pray, let's do so with boldness. Because from atop that hill we call Golgotha, God has shown us that we have every reason to confidently approach him. Thank you for listening to this sermon from River City Church. If you found this resource helpful, we encourage you to share it with your friends and family. We exist to see weary lives renewed through relationship with Jesus in the Twin Cities and beyond.